This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your hosts, Chris Spear and Andrew Wilkinson. Each week, we'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. This is episode 19 of the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. On this week's episode, we have Dylan Ubaldo, a chef, musician, audio engineer, and event organizer based in Baltimore, Maryland. He started the Kalasag pop-up to bring Filipino and Filipino-American food to the area, especially in conjunction with events. In addition to cooking, Dylan creates music under the name Toyo Mansi and created the intro and outro music for this podcast. We would also like to thank him for letting us record our Baltimore podcast sessions at the Grotto, the recording studio he manages. We would also like to thank our other sponsor, Jug Bridge Brewery, located at 911 East Patrick Street in Frederick, Maryland. Enjoy the show and have a great week. We're back. Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm Andrew. And this is Chris. And we have here today, Chef Dylan Ubaldo, a.k.a. Toyo Mansi. Longtime friend of mine, that's Andrew. Well, you listeners probably already know that, but uh, I could tell I could tell the listeners a lot of things about you. <laughs> but I'm just gonna let you describe Toyo Mansi. Tell tell the listeners who Dylan is. Yeah, so I'm a musician and chef and organizer based in Baltimore, Maryland. And um, yeah, I grew up making a lot of music, being around music, also being around a lot of Filipino culture and like Filipino gatherings growing up that kind of influenced my upbringing with food and music and being kind of in a communal space whenever there was food or music around. Um, So I kind of like took that into a career sense and now I'm doing pop-ups with Colossal Pop-Up. I'm a audio engineer and studio manager at The Grotto um, recording studio in Baltimore, Maryland, and just doing my own music, my own events under Toyo Monsi. Hell yeah. Real quick, before we get into anything else, I just want to say that what you don't know about Dylan is he's an original llama, and there probably would be no pizza llama, amongst others, without Dylan. Oh yeah, yeah, we used to set up a lot of events together, and uh, at, at a time when the pizza really was very free. Yeah, totally free pizza. Mm-hmm. We did probably, I think... It wasn't free for us. It wasn't free for us. <laughs> that was a good time. That's what got me into pizza, everybody. You don't, you probably, I don't give you credit a lot. <laughs> I appreciate you're a part of. You're a part of the pizza. And the music for the podcast. And the music for the oh, podcast. Yeah. Anyway, like, first of I all, forgot. shout out to you for, let, for hooking us up with this spot to record in all day, the Grotto. Mm-hmm. And thank you for giving us the music for our podcast. Yeah. Every week when you hear... Chris introing us. Toyo Mansi is the creator of that music. We got a producer in the house. We got a multi-talented individual. So uh, let's talk about your introduction into food. So I always, I think like I, like my first memories of food are definitely has to do with going to like Christmas Filipino parties. Cause in the Philippines, 
here and especially like there, they go crazy for Christmas. It's like they call it the Burr month. So they start celebrating in September. And then from September until through December, you celebrate Christmas in like decorations, music, food. So I would go to those events and they would always have like a lichon, like a whole pig, or it would just be like the most food to this day. Like I've never really seen people pre- prepare as much food as Filipino people prepare. It's just like such a huge part of the culture to just like make a shitload of food at once. <laughs> so that was like my first memory. And then like growing up, we didn't really like, we didn't eat out a lot and we didn't like really have, my family didn't have a lot of money to get a lot of like variety or like a diverse range of food. So growing up, whenever my dad would, or my mom would bring home like fresh vegetables or like something that wasn't in the can or like meat that wasn't like, you know, processed, I knew that we were going to eat Filipino food. So I have like kind of like a deep connection with that being my, like the root food that I eat. Like, I feel like everybody has that food that when you eat it, you just feel like primally like in touch with being human. So I think for a long time, like that's how I felt with Filipino food. And often you eat Filipino food with your hands. So that is kind of my upbringing with food, which transitions to in. I moved around a lot when I was younger. Um, I lived in like near Chicago and then I lived in Missouri. And then when I finally, when I was 13 and I moved to Maryland, I actually was like kind of around a diverse group of people. So I feel like naturally my family like culturally shifted to having a lot of people over at my house growing up when I was a teenager, which I know you probably remember this, Andy. But like my parents, I'm realizing now that my parents are really open to that because it is kind of like the culture of how, how it is at my grandma's house in the Philippines is like anybody can come over and eat. Like if you're just there at that time, you can eat and like, This has followed me through my whole life. You know, this like now the people I work with in this studio who are also musicians that I work with, we live in the same neighborhood. And like if you show up there and it's dinner time, like we eat together, you know, so it's like it's this cultural thing that I bring with me. But I think since I've been doing music so much, um, I'm 20 now, 29 now. But like throughout my 20s, I've been pretty active, like doing music. And somewhere in, like, my mid-20s, I was kind of, like, I think going too hard with music and, like, putting all my time into music and wanting to kind of have a break from that. So I found, like, while I was doing food that it was really, like, relaxing and it was, like, this whole other type of craft that was just different from cooking. So once I, like, had enough time of a break from touring and doing music stuff, I was able to, like, do a pop-up. And actually, Crystal, Crystal Mack was the one who she was working at our house at the same time I was. And I was like kind of giving her food that I was working on. And she was like, you got to do a pop up. Like, You got to do a pop up before somebody who's not Filipino does a pop up. Yeah. So I was like able to start Colossal pop up. And that was able to be like, it's cool because now there's like a handful of Filipino pop ups in the city. But it was cool to be part of that like movement where there wasn't that many local pop-ups and there were definitely not a lot of Filipino local pop-ups. So it was cool to be able to figure stuff out and then see now that like people have picked up on like techniques to do pop-ups and it's like more food in more places now. Yeah. What made you want to start? Like, I mean, I've known since we were friends, like we've always kind of like raided the fridge and done crazy shit with food, (laughs) but 
I don't really remember. Like, I don't, I don't remember an exact time when it was that you kind of like stepped into this. I'm gonna cook Filipino food. Like, what, what, at what point did you dive into that? What made you want to really dive into it? I think what really like got me interested was just seeing, doing the research, doing what I like normally do, which is like, and I, I feel like I have this, this skill in music as well, which is that. I'm interested in the culture and I'm interested in the history. So I can kind of start to see trends when they're happening. Um, or I just like try to be observant of that, you know? So um, I was always working in the restaurant industry, but it was funny because I used to always be like a dishwasher server host. And like, I always cooked, but I had this like kind of reluctant fear of like actually getting seriously into being a cook or whatever. Cause it's, it's just like, you know, it's a lot of dangerous equipment and you're like, not sure if you can handle it. And then I finally got in there, but I think I was just like, as I actually started to cook in restaurants and learn about restaurants and I got more responsibility in the kitchen, I started to be like, Oh, like, I think I could like run a whole. And plus I had experience setting up shows. So I was like, I think I can set this up. I think really for a lot of people, most people probably have the skills it takes to set up like, a really dope event or like manage an operation of a lot of people. It's just that fear of like, can I handle it? Mm -hmm. So I think actually being in the kitchen made me realize like, Oh, I could handle potentially like being a chef. And then seeing that I was online and I was always interested in Filipino food. Cause I just like always looked up recipes to cook because it was funny. I was like, I never wanted to learn too many other techniques because I always felt like what I wanted was like there was some form of Filipino food that's like delivering what I want out of food, which isn't like now. Now, I guess my my palate and vision is like further than that. But um, I think that's like like I will say when Colossog started, it was like just Filipino food. Like we were mm-hmm. like, let's do traditional Filipino food. Yeah. And through that journey, we realized that like there's no one definition of like what Filipino food is. Yeah. And then I realized, yeah. And then I had more, I had more of an understanding why chefs branch out and try other things. Like, I don't think I got that at first. Like it's that it's like the same argument with rappers where you're like, Oh, like they should like, everybody should be like authentic or something, you know? Yeah. But like with, with me, it's just like, you know, I have to try everything and I care about the history and I just want to make sure everything's like accurate. And then from there I can kind of like branch out. It's like a journey you had to go on to figure out how crazy you can get. Yeah. Basically like, and you get, you get more confident. That's what I always tell people is that like 50% of being a chef is like confidence, like having the confidence to know that you can just do it is like it gets you really far when you're really like unsure that's when you start like making mistakes that are noticeable but when you're like Mm -hmm. confident in what you need to reach and how you what you need to do to reach it you're like good yeah and a lot of times like you can you can turn a bad situation into something either beautiful or just even like take a terrible situation and make it palatable yeah if you have like the just the confidence of like okay we were just talking on the ride down that we'll forget shit sometimes when we're, we have like Always. a gig and we'll forget something. I make lists like, now and like you still you just still forget. will forget shit. But then when you <laughs> when you get there and like when you get there and you take a step back and stop freaking out for a second, it's like you regain a little confidence and you're like, okay, I can make this fucking work. Yeah, like it's and that's yeah. all it is is just having the confidence. 
Yeah, like <clears throat> two days ago, I did an event. I left 50% of my food at home. <laughs> like I got there and I unloaded and I had one bag. And thank God, all the proteins. Like I had yeah. lamb, I had duck, I had filet, but like all my sauces, yeah. all that meat. And I, it was an hour before I even told the hostess. I'm like, let me unpack all my shit. Let me look at what I have. I had some surprise courses, so they didn't know everything I was serving. And I wanted to come up with a plan. But I was like almost having a full-blown anxiety attack. I'm like, I don't know these people. I don't know how they're going to be. Um, and I just wanted to like breathe and get unpacked and just kind of look at like, okay, what don't I have? And then what's my plan? And not come to them and say, I don't know what to do. I come in and say like, oh, you wanted a blue cheese cream sauce on your filet. Like I don't have blue cheese or cream, <laughs> but I've got cultured butter. I've got some lemons. I've got some garlic and rosemary. I'm just going to make like a cultured brown butter. I'm going to throw some rosemary and garlic in there. I'm going to roast some lemons. It's going to be delicious. But like being able to compose yourself, right? Yeah. And pull it together because sometimes things happen. Like you yeah. just, you got to roll with it as best you can. Yeah. I've had I've had that like exact issue a lot of times with forgetting product. And because it's tough, it's like you're preparing a bunch of different stuff. And that's why like now sometimes I end up thinking reductively about my menu where it's like how easy, like you have to think about like how will I feel when this is happening rather than like right now, like I can... Like, when I'm by myself at home at night, I'm writing a menu. I'm, like, in my notebook. I have, like, the craziest ideas. You know, it's, like, I'm going to reduce this crazy sauce from, like, this thing that's, like, hard to get. But you have to, like, think more reductively, like, what do I want to get out of this specific event? And, like, how much am I willing to make it more complicated? Or is there a way that I could make less ingredients so that if I have to travel far that I don't have to bring too much. I've learned so much editing, you know, when you're working in a big kitchen and you have lots of hands and one guy can make the sauce and someone's doing this, you can overcomplicate it because you have the yeah. means to do that. And then going out on my own where I'm doing, you know, a five or six course meal by myself for, you know, up to like a dozen people, I can't be putting 17 components on the plate. It's going to be, you know, essentially a protein and two sides with maybe a sauce or something. I think it's made me a better chef. You just kind of look yeah. at like, did I need to throw that purslane on there? Did I need to put two sauces on the plate or would one yeah. do? Or could you just make like fewer elements really good rather than yes. like you don't need, I think it can get overcomplicated. And I think sometimes you have a bounty of too much. Mm -hmm. You have too much staff. You have too much product. Too much time and i think yeah. when you kind of distill all that down it's like it's just me and i'm gonna do what i can do and i think sometimes some of the best cooking comes out of that right <laughs> it definitely does i was just reminded of this time where you were doing your pop-up in our house and mm -hmm. i showed up and you're like come on back so <laughs> i was just getting hands on and you're like hey cook this chicken yeah. <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> And I'm like, uh, how do you want me to steer it? Like, what, what do you want me to do exactly? He was like, just put it in the pan. Just, I trust you. Just do it. I guess the reason I brought that up is because actually that moment really kind of influenced me as like a manager in my own business about like just trusting people and kind of like letting them fuck up if they're going to fuck up. And I guess what I want to ask you about it is like, where did that come from for you? That's interesting because that's definitely in my like management style. Cause I, I think more so I'd rather you, I'd rather me instill confidence in you and you go into it and just like go into it with confidence than to overthink it and like put too many like questions and fears there that you like might overcomplicate it. But I think that just comes from like one big thing it comes from is 
people not trusting me in the kitchen and then putting me in this weird position where they're like making me like they're projecting their nervous on nervousness on me and it's making me nervous and then I'm feeling like it's creating more avenues to mess up. Like they're giving you so many directions. Yeah, so I like I wanna it's like I already understand I'm doing something that's asking a lot. So I wanna not put extra pressure on you. I'd rather you just like if I and that's also a thing where like I honestly am that way with where if I ask you that I want to work with you, it's because like I trust you. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather put you in a position to like to succeed than to like to wonder what it would be like if you did that, you know? Because I think too, like I've worked in kitchens where there I think there's a lot of kitchen culture, especially like with a lot of men in the kitchen where it's like you're in here, you're supposed to know how to cook. You ask when you need to like know how to do something. But a lot of times I kind of take more of the role of, okay, I know that you've cooked this. I know that you've cooked this. I know you've stood in front of a grill. So I know you can slap a piece of meat down on a, on a pan and flip it when it, after like two minutes or something, you know, but it's like also with, with cooking, there's so much of it that it's like, you really have to know because it's such variables of feeling like how hot is this Thing, how like uh is this gonna stick on here so really it's just like i think some things you just have to do to learn and i want people to learn like i always like my whole thing is like i always want to learn something new every day so like if i'm putting people in an environment where they feel like they can't learn or they can't affect like change in how something happens because i'm always willing i guess i understand too that i'm like that like i'm an open book where it's like you could easily like put me in a position to learn something new like i don't know everything so it's like kind of just trying to treat people how i would want to be treated in the kitchen and the best way to learn is just to just to screw it up you could have sat there and taught and taught told me exactly how you wanted everything but like and i I still could just mess it up and then yeah and it's like i could either be stressed out that people are going to mess something up and I might lose a little product or I could like factor that into the cost and know it's going to happen and not like be mad at somebody about that, you know? Cause yeah. it's like, you kind of like, it just happens. Yeah, yeah. I've been in, in like, I've worked in a kitchen where it's like somebody ordered a burger and the burger was already ordered like 30 minutes ago and then it got dropped on the ground. So we had to make it again. And then, Yep, that happens with pizza all the time. And that, that I think that moment resonated with me so much because I was already dealing with, like, other people, teaching other people how to make pizza and stuff. And I feel like training somebody from scratch with, like, you kind of knew where my skill set was, mm-hmm. but, like, somebody who doesn't know anything and then trying to teach them how to, like, stretch a pizza dough, dough can be, like, very fragile and whatever. So maybe it's a little different. But yeah. it resonated with me because I noticed that people – would like freak out. I noticed how much I was giving people direction. And then when they screwed up a dough, they would freak out. Cause I do tell people like, you know, this like, you have to treat this with care. It's like, be gentle with it. Yeah. It's a little dough baby. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? So maybe that has something to do with it too. But then like, if they drop a pizza on the ground or if they put a hole in a pizza and they're like apologizing to me and I'm like, it's okay. Just get another one. Let's, <laughs> yeah. Let's make that pizza. Like, don't worry about the dough. Yeah. It's like the cheapest part, honestly. Although I do work really hard on the dough, but so that, that moment was like, I'm still working on it in my business, but it kind of rubbed off on me where I'm like, you know what? Just let people do their thing and mess up and figure it out and just trust them. 
And the most beautiful things have come from that. So, you with all your pop-ups and stuff, do you have restaurant dreams? Ah, this is, people ask me about this all the time. <laughs> um, I definitely have restaurant dreams, which is different from asking me if I wanted to start a restaurant, right? Well, yeah. Those are two different questions. Like, do you have a dream restaurant and do you want to start a restaurant? Everyone, like, who looks into it, you know, knows there's a lot of stress that comes along with having a restaurant. But for me, I have a dream idea for a restaurant, which would be that, like, have you ever heard of SOBs in New York? It's, like, one of the most popular music venues, but it's also, like, a steakhouse, like, a popular restaurant. Um, So I think it would be interesting. And also, Thievery Corporation, don't quote me on this because I don't know if this is fully correct, but they definitely have a music venue that's attached to a a studio to a bar, right? So I think... For me, the dream is, like, encompassing music and food. Like, here we're at the Grotto where I can, you know, it supplies all of my music needs. But it's, like, if there was just a place where there was a restaurant and a studio and a venue and I could also record videos in it, that would be the ideal. But I'm at this point where I'm, like, I don't think I could start just a restaurant by itself because I have too many interests that like, I, I think I just have to like marinate on it and sit on it for a long time. But ultimately I think what I realized, like I was doing pop-ups and I was kind of getting deeper into the food scene here in Baltimore, but I've been part of the music scene here in the city for like around a decade. So my community, my personal community who I interact with daily is like the music community. It's like a completely different community than the food. Um, so I think when it comes to like having a restaurant, I, I always have to think about that core community who supported me that I support. Um, yeah. So yeah. Servicing them through yeah. a restaurant and maybe other avenues too. Yeah. So I get it. I totally get it. And having a restaurant, like, one thing, that's, like, a lot of pressure just to put on one thing. Um, Even, like, with the pop-ups, though, you know what I mean? Like, if you were just going to do pop-ups, like, it's a lot of pressure on one thing. But then if you take this idea of, like, having multiple avenues, like, having a venue, having a food inside, and, have like, I mean, if you get a nice little team of people together, you don't necessarily have to get bored or, like, put too much pressure on one thing. Because a bunch of people go into a show, they need some food, or even just going to the food spot that they know is in a venue. Like mm-hmm. maybe it's a little less pressure all around from yeah. the people and and on yourself to like make it be some like special. It's not like some. It doesn't have to be this like one special thing they're coming to a restaurant for. It's like it's just a cool thing with other cool things to offer too. And it's like you know idea. we should be eating when you're drinking. I feel like there's a lot of music venues where you can just get trashed endlessly and it's like there's no there's no food around in sight. So I feel like also a lot of venues I've performed at that have a restaurant attached, you get a meal ticket as an artist. Honestly, you get food when you're touring like in Europe or Asia, a lot of places they just give you food when you tour, but like in the US, like they try to give the artist the bare minimum. Mm. So when you can get a free like free food from a venue. You gotta have that on the Yeah, ride, you're just right? gonna perform better, you know? <laughs> yeah. Can't perform on an empty stomach. Exactly. Also probably don't want to perform on a totally full stomach. No, I've done that as well. So 
we haven't really gotten into much about the pop-ups. What was what's your main challenge with pop-ups? I think my main challenge with pop-ups is finding kitchen space to use and also communication and transparency Mm -hmm. with restaurants because like when you're collaborating yeah when i'm collaborating with restaurants i've just had like issues where they weren't transparent about how much the food costs so i wasn't clear on how much i should price my things to be so that i could like make or have even an accurate number of like what i'm trying to shoot to make Mm-hmm. Um, so then that makes it difficult to know how to like, uh, staff and all those things. Also issues with like when I've rented a kitchen that they're like, they have an equipment list. And then when you actually like go there that like a portion or a lot of the equipment isn't working properly. And then like those point people who do those things at restaurants. It's funny. Cause I'm saying like, I'm being vague cause I'm not going to say who any of yeah, these people yeah. are. But it's more than you'd think. It's yeah. like if you're a restaurant that like does stuff for pop-ups, you should think about what I'm saying. I'll say, for example, too, because Kuya Ja, I'll shout them out because that's the homies. But Kuya Ja started as a pop-up and we did a collaboration with their restaurant and like their communication was like immaculate. I was like, I've never experienced this as a pop-up mm-hmm. because it's similar to like, and I always revert back to music, but it's like, You've got a lot of music venues that are run by people who are not musicians and haven't done or music. managers. They probably never yeah. So you've got a lot of people. You got a lot of developers now in <laughs> restaurant companies that are not necessarily run by people who manage kitchens or run kitchens. Yeah. So you run into those issues where it's like, especially with equipment, where it's like, food equipment's a very specialized thing. Like it has to be cleaned and maintained in certain ways, and like that's one of those things that you don't really get into the nitty gritty of until you're like a lion cook. The, usually the people who are doing business aren't like maintenance people or people who touch the equipment a lot. So it's like you come in there and then they're like, Oh, you might hit them up and they'll be like, Oh, that's not working. It's like, I got to call a specialist who might not be there. And also for, um, I was working somewhere and it was like a fridge specialist came in and the fridge specialist costs like, a hundred dollars just to come out before they've done anything yeah and then like it might have just been a switch that was like turned the wrong way so but it's like things like that where i'm like you'd hope that if you were to put down a lot of money to rent a space that that would be like checked out to make sure everything works before but i still do feel like pop-ups are a fairly new thing to the point where it's like there hasn't been a clear like distinction of how people do it because it's different every time like it could be handled many different ways so do you have your like is it feasible to go into a place that doesn't have a kitchen space do you do you have or would you consider buying portable ovens or stoves or whatever so you don't have to yeah so uh, anyone's using anyone's kitchen yeah we do that too and we do have like portable we have like this huge like outdoor walk and we have like some grills and stuff and it's weird. It's this toss up like where I haven't, I won't even say a definitive answer on that because to a certain extent, like sometimes I, I, it feels good that I can pull up and use all my equipment, but then there's cons of it, like that I have to bring all of it. And then, you know, if I go into a space, they have all their stuff, but like I won't be able to check beforehand or it might be hard to get in contact with those people. So I've definitely considered different things, but now it's more of like, 
it's similar to how when I do it with music, when I get a venue for a pop-up or for a show, is that I just want to work with people who are generally, like, interested and excited about working with me. I feel like that intuitively is the best, like, judgment of if it's worth it or not. Because ultimately, when you're throwing a pop-up, there's going to be, like, weird, random, annoying shit that happens that you could not have foreseen at all. Like, whether it's small or big, like, it always happens. But, like, the show must go on. It always must go on. So at the end of the day, it's, like, I like to work with people that, like, I'm down to be next to in the weeds. Or, like, not that I feel like, oh, this, you know, this pop-up is turning into a shitstorm and, like, they're just over there, like, haha, we're at the bar getting money or whatever. You know, they're like, oh, what do you need? So, because that's, like, the type of, like, how I try to be with my business, like, when I'm bringing people in and if, you know, they feel like they need something because they can't prepare this food in this way and something I didn't think about. I'm like, Oh, how can I provide for you? How can I help? Cause like, you know, I agreed with you to be in the fire. I get approached a lot by like breweries and wineries that don't even have kitchens. And like yeah. some of them, you can tell just basically want you to be a vendor. Like they're not interested in anything at all They're They can't even tell you like how many people are going to be there. Yeah. And then it puts everything back on me. Like, Oh, we don't know. There could be 40 or 400 people buying your food. And like, it's on you to decide how much to, to make and bring and you know if yeah. you run out you look bad and, and it's always much, like, like the you're opposite stuck. happens it's always yeah. like you make too much or i didn't make enough like it's really like that's the hard thing too is like once i've been because we had a we had a good amount of buzz colossal when we first started it was like the buzz was kind of crazy but after a while it like dies down slightly like at first we could be like oh we're gonna sell out always but then it's like we got past that point of like always selling out when you're really popular, it can kind of like cloud you a little bit because you're not sure how much like I didn't have to ever think about food cost as much because it was just like we're always selling out at whatever we priced it at. When less people started coming, we were like, oh, we have to actually think about it. And you're not a restaurant. So what do you do with the leftover? Like you can't be sitting on that because I'm in the same boat. Like as a personal chef, my menu changes for my customers every day. Mm -hmm. It's not like Andrew, like, oh, if I don't sell all my stuff for pizza at this event, like, I'm making pizza tomorrow somewhere. Like, yeah. so I don't do those at all. I only do ticketed events. So if someone wants to work with me, we yeah. say, like, let's put it up on Eventbrite and sell tickets for 50, 70, yeah. whatever. And then I know 100% how many people are coming, what's been yeah. paid for. But I I can't personally go into these events, like, without having any idea what kind of yeah. numbers we're doing. Yeah, I did one the other day. And, like, basically – the only way people can really convince me is if like you're an artist and I really like love you as a musician. And sometimes people will be like, Oh, can you pop up? And usually it ends up just being like a catering for the artists, which is a lot better for me. But occasionally I'll just like, we'll just like sell. And I think that's just like in our roots. Like that's where it's like, that's my like one thing where I'm like, all right, like I might take a little less money, but usually it works out because musicians and people in the music scene are very like well-versed in promoting things. So a lot of times when you're working with artists, they just like love to promote people's stuff. And I think that's something too, I've been trying to get into because I think that there is a lot of intersections between music and food. And especially in this city, like we don't get to like take advantage of them as much as we should, because there's so many great food makers independent food makers and so many great independent artists 
but both of them, both of us are still trying to like develop our economy. And I feel like if we work together with more things that like potentially things could grow. It's cool that you brought it up because I was going to ask you about uh, like inconsistencies in uh, like turnout to your pop-ups because I experienced something kind of similar where I did a vegan pop-up with a vegan donut shop in Frederick glory. And the first time it was like, they have like a a lot of followers and on Instagram and stuff. So like they kind of, we both blasted it. And the first time it was like, I wasn't even expecting it. I think I made less than a hundred pizzas. And then like we had a line around the block and like, I was a little bit understaffed and like, it just, I just was not expecting it to be that. I knew it was going to be like a good turnout, but I didn't know it was going to be like that. And then we were like, all right, let's do this in another month. Cool. Right. So that was November. We planned one in December and I made a whole bunch more product. Like I think I did like 130 or 140 does Mm -hmm. for this one. When it was all said and done, like literally I maybe sold like 15 to 20 pizzas. So it was like a drastic difference. Yeah. It was so different. And for me, in that specific scenario, like, I think what it was is that it was closer to the holidays. It was really cold outside. People who might have come back from the first one were probably like, oh, like, I don't want to wait that long in the cold. Because the line was literally around the block. And so, like, there's a few factors there that I think contributed to it. But in a play, and if I'm thinking about it, like, I don't know. Do you, do you see any trends when it comes to like when a lot of people showed up or when people didn't show yeah, up or have you done I think, the same event multiple times where you had different outcomes? Yeah. I think the best way to judge is like you have to really clock how many people are posting about it on like social media because if there's not that much, sometimes I've been like, you really have to clock because it has to be like a lot to know that a lot of people are going to come. Because when we did, like, the Our House one, it was, like, a shitload of people posting, and it was, like, lines of, like, 50, 100 people. Ultimately, it is really tough to tell because, like, season counts, like, what time of the month it is, what day of the week it is. And I don't know if this would help, but I see a lot now of people doing event brights that's, like, free, but it's, like, an RSVP. Like, they'll yeah. say, like... We're having, I think Idiom did it. It's our one year anniversary. There is no charge, but we're making an event bright so that people can RSVP so that we have some idea yeah. of how many people are coming where you don't have to buy a ticket, but that just create an event and how many people yeah, are nice. saying they're interested or are going or something like that. For us, because we just don't have a lot of money, we're like, how much are we willing to spend type thing? And how, how does that break down into how well we think things will sell? I do like usually if it's possible from whatever POS is being used that try to get like product mixes and then see like, okay, what's popular because like for us, like vegan lupia, like the Filipino egg rolls, like they sell like crazy. So it's like, we can always make a lot of them. Um, but then it's like, you have to think too, like, is there like, can I freeze this and use it later? Um, but usually it's just hard to tell. That's why for us now, it's like I try to do pop-ups more periodically so that I can like know that I can put the proper attention to promoting it. Yeah. Um, but then again, that's like the issue of like having enough, generating enough revenue. It's tough. I That's the best advice I can give. <laughs> I would say I also end up in those situations too where 
I had a situation where, like, basically, I had done an event at Fat and Son in, on Black Friday, and I was like, originally, I got the date. I was trying to get another date, but they're like, we have this date, and I'm like, oh, it's a Friday. It's after Thanksgiving. Like, I'll get that. Like, it'll be dope. And I like went crazy with the branding, like paid for design flyers looked really good but then it was like that night was just not a very good night as much as you can think that you can like turn something to be better like sometimes you just have to have the foresight to be like maybe i should just like get my own date where other stuff wouldn't be because then there was also like an entire event that was like a festival type event that night which was like my friend was doing it was like all the artists are playing i ended up doing like a deal with her where like you could get like a certain percentage off or whatever but yeah, had I had the foresight, I would have just been like, let me just get a later date. It's really hard to, to gauge that kind of stuff. And then having a food truck, too, is like, it's a little bit different. <clears throat> but being in a small city like Frederick, having a food truck is almost like just trying to do a pop-up all the time. The zoning and, and laws around food trucks in Frederick are kind of weird anyway. So, like, I'm still in this place where I feel like it's just a pop-up all the time, even though I have a food truck. My events are still pop-up. Like, I'm going to these... I'm going to a vineyard this Friday that I went to last Friday and it was raining and it's the winter time. So like, it wasn't that busy. It wasn't terrible, but like, you know, and then I'm going back this Friday and it kind of just feels like I'm doing another pop up there, even though I'm bringing a food truck and it's kind of a different thing, but like, Mm -hmm. and then, yeah, it's hard to like be sustainable doing that. And then like, you know, (laughs) 20 to 30 people difference coming to your truck can be like okay do you need if they're all coming at the same time like you need two more staff people yeah if that's only going to happen one time throughout the whole night it's like should i even hire anybody else for tonight like it's such a hard thing to gauge and there's so many aspects that go into it like luckily i've got like some good friends to help me out when do you have another pop-up plan um i'm actually pop-up free right now I'm probably going to wait to the spring and do something. We have like a lot of talks of doing something in the spring, but um, we've put in a lot of work in the winter as far as like the little pop-ups we had. And then I'm working on an album that's like, you know, an album doesn't happen all the time. So I'm like in the thick of it and it's like halfway recorded. So I have to finish that. I put a lot of attention to finishing that. So that is planned to release in June. I'm going to do pop-ups, but, like, I this is just a thing I have to finish. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, let me not let me not put this on hold any longer to just do pop-ups when I don't have, like, a full-on plan for the future of Colossog. So it's like I'm just working on what I have now so I can put more time towards that. And we're just kind of laying low because we don't, like, really have a kitchen right now. So we can only really do collabs. <clears throat> You'll probably see a couple more collabs from us and then... Once I, like, have some free time, I'm going to think of, like, a a full-on plan for, like, what the next move is in 2020. But we were, like, really happy about how 2019 went. And, like, I think that we finally kind of have... Because I got to do do a pop-up in Manila, like, right at the beginning of 2019. And that kind of, like, opened my eyes to the fact that, like, I need to be really unique about how I'm making my version of Filipino food. And that was a complete, like transition from how we were operating before and then also like realizing that it's like i'm not just going to do one or the other with music and food balancing those have been difficult but like i finally made the decision to just be like i'm going to do both of them whether it's like difficult or not whether it's like a slower process or not i'm just going to do it 
I think making making yourself a little more uh, exclusive is a good move. Kind of always, if if it makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean. On that note, do you think that like you said that you, you had a lot of buzz in the beginning and it kind of tapered off? Do you think that it was a little like oversaturated? Like you did too many events and it was oversaturated, or do you think that's around the time when there was a bunch of other Filipino pop-ups popping up in Baltimore because there's like what four or five? Different yeah, groups, I know? think at the time I did it, it was like there wasn't there wasn't really anybody being like, hey, this is like a Filipino pop-up. Also, I think that I take branding really seriously as far mm-hmm. as like art and design and promotion and stuff. So I think that people like saw that and they saw that we were like young and stuff. And I think people just like supported it. And I think that there were just different people like foodie people, food media people who are just like interested in that type of thing. And we just fit the demographic for like people they wanted to document or showcase. Also, like, this is a thing I've had my whole life, but I don't like fitting into, like, molds. Like, if I feel people start to, like, push me to be, like, you know, I'm not, like, a trained chef. I'm not, like, here to be, like, this is the best way to cook this. Or, like, I'm really here because, like, I just have a passion for it. And, like, I want to connect with people who have a similar passion. So when I feel, like, being pushed into, like, people are just trying to, like, commercialize what I'm doing, there's always a chance for that. But, like... I only get one chance to be like young and define what I do, you know? So like, that's what's more important to me now is just like defining exactly what I do. So that once I have, I noticed that a lot too. And like, I'm just going to reference like chef's table and stuff, but like, or like anything that documents chefs, you notice when they, there comes a time when you have a transition, when they're like, this is not what's up. This is not what I'm doing anymore. Mm-hmm. this is what defined me to like you know there's like that defining moment where it's like this is what i'm gonna do and like i don't feel like i've had that yet yeah so i'm just trying to be present and enjoy like finding that because like one thing i don't think i like is like those super arrogant chefs who are like oh i'm like know everything about this and this and it's like i'm not gonna act like that i'm not gonna act like at 27 or 29 or whatever that i knew exactly what i wanted to do with food because i don't understand it enough yeah so it's like for me it's like a journey it's like let's find out what it's all about and like for me like that's when i noticed when other like filipino pop-ups started popping up i was like okay like what defines me and makes me different from them because like we all and that's what's dope it's like we all if you go to all of our pop-ups you'd be like wow there's these similar things about them that make them filipino but it's like all completely different. And that's like with Filipino food, I realize as long as you're like Filipino and you're like cooking with your roots and like the techniques, you could be really using like any ingredients, you know? It's kind of like with pizza. I mean, I've always known that I wanted to do pizza, but my pizza is way different than it was when I first started. Yeah. You probably noticed that it's like yeah, way definitely. different. Even, even what I'm trying to I still use a wood-fired oven, and I still have, like, you know, high-hydration doughs and on the thinner side pizzas. It's not too much different, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot about it that's changed, and it's just me tweaking and getting, like... Yeah. Just trying... I'm really... It's the same thing. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what I'm trying to be in the pizza world. Yeah, and you become more self-critical in some ways, where it's, like there's more nuance gets added to the process where you're just like, I've done this long enough that I'm like, I know the variables and I know it's going to happen. So like, let me try something else. And that's when like, 
we talk about like when you throw people into the fire or like mistakes happen, that's when you start figuring out other stuff or just like experimenting. Like, like I had, um, always made this, like one of the first recipes I learned how to make when I was younger was torton talong. And it's like, it's basically like an eggplant om- omelet. And my dad would always make it like on Saturday mornings and stuff. So basically like the way a lot of people do it is you just like light on fire. You're basically just like, grilling off the skin and then take it off and then you smash it and dip it in egg mix with garlic and soy sauce and then you like fry it but i was doing an event that was kind of like i do these baltimore to bulacan like bulacan is the province that my family lives in so i kind of like my this is a style of cooking that i'm doing where it's basically like filipino street food and like communal full communal food combined with like my upbringing in America and eating like cheap American food. So it's like, I feel like that just defines me, you know? Um, I basically was able to kind of like get out of my normal box of like, I'm just making Filipino food. Cause like, it wouldn't be accurate if I just made Filipino food because I'm Filipino American, you know? I was like, let me try different stuff. And I always had heard about like burning coffee. And then I thought about like, I thought about like those like, Basically, some of my recipes are, like, I think of a memory, like, this, like, fragmented memory. So, for that one, it was, like, I remembered, like, my dad making that in the morning and my mom making coffee. And so, like, I I rolled, I would, like, dip the eggplant in rice vinegar before I burned it and then, like, roll it in coffee and then burn the coffee on the eggplant. And so then, good. like, once I made it, it just had this, like, better than... Yeah. So it was like that weird thing where it was a weird thing where it was like, it's easy to feel like when you're, especially if you're Filipino and you grew up with like Filipino women in your family making dope food growing up, it's easy to feel like it can't, and I don't want to see better, but like, it's easy to feel like you can't like expand from that. Like that's just, that's just your root. And sometimes there's like this fear of going away from that, but like, I was able to finally just be like, all right, let me try something different. Like if it doesn't work, then I won't do it. But then like you do it. And that's like, those are the best moments for me. Like as a chef is when you do something and you're like, I don't think anybody's doing this. Maybe somebody is, but like, I haven't done it. And this is like exciting. How receptive are Filipino people to fusion or taking the food in a different direction? Cause you know, it seems like you know, someone like me who didn't grow up eating it, I'd think that was cool, but do you get, feedback from people who are yeah. Filipino and, and what so do they think about think, like you putting your own spin on it I think so that was naturally what I was like that was what my anxiety was my anxiety was like what if I try these new things miss the mark and Filipino people are just like this guy is an asshole that was like a huge anxiety for me starting out and then what happened was I think what gave me a lot of confidence was the first couple pop-ups we did like when we came out, it was Filipino people who came and they like spoke to me like I was family, you know, or they were like, this reminded me like there's been so many pop ups we did where somebody was like the taste or the aesthetic or something we did. They were like, this reminded me of the Philippines or made me feel like I was in the Philippines. So that gave me the confidence to be like, OK, like, so let me just try new things. And then we did the the Taho, which is like a traditional like there's a guy who walks around in the province or in the barangay or like the barrio in the Philippines. And he's just like, Taho, Taho. And he just like yells it in the morning walking around. And then you go up to him and he's got like 
a big pole with two buckets on each side, and one bucket has like a syrupy, caramely sauce with uh, tapioca pearls in it. Or it's actually called sago, which is like I don't know if it's tapioca. I think it's tapioca, but it's like the like boba pearls, and then there's just like soft, warm silken tofu and you put it in and then you just like i like get a little it's like a boba straw and you just like mix it around and like drink it with the straw could you do that in baltimore just like walk up and down the streets with that i, I like wish that. that's the thing like i'm sad about here is like the food laws make it difficult yeah. to do something yeah. like that but this so this recipe i was it was the same pop-up where it was a breakfast pop-up but i was thinking like these fragmented memories of my childhood so like i thought about like that mixed with like eating cookie crisp growing up so i like crushed up cookie crisp and put it then in there and that was like honestly i've never felt so anxious about putting a recipe out because or a dish out because this is like literally blasphemy like this is like a really filipino dish and then you're just going to crush up like breakfast cereal and put it in there and then there were these two immigrants who like pulled me to the side after and they were like we just came here from the philippines and they were like we just wanted to let you know that like your taho is like spot on it was really good and i was like that like opened my mind for somebody to say i did something spot on when i like took a a a high risk you know like that could have been something where somebody could have posted on the internet and been like this guy's putting cookie crisp (laughs) into ho and like you know i'm from here i'm like not from the philippines so it's like that's one thing now is like at, at first I thought that I felt this huge responsibility to like explain Filipino culture to people, which is like, it was, we're like the second largest Asian immigrant group. And it's like a lot of people don't know about us. And I felt this responsibility two years ago to like explain everything to everybody. But in those past two years, like literally in the past two to five years, like people have been gaining so much knowledge of Filipino culture and Filipino food that I feel less of a responsibility to do that. And I feel like more like I can just be an artist. So that's yeah. been really cool. I think I remember you saying something to me about, it seemed like you, like it, this must've been around the time where you were kind of like maybe putting a little much pressure on yourself for doing that. And I think you had expressed to me one time that it's like, well, I'm like spending all this time, like educating people that aren't from this culture just so they can consume it and then like move on or think that they, or just like feel more cultured. And sure. um, I think this is interesting though. Didn't you have an experience where like somebody came up and they were mad about something, but then after like at the end of it though, they like apologized or something like that. Um, or, like something was not, was wrong with the food or something, but then they were like, I'm, I'm sorry. I was an asshole. I feel like I've had that situation a couple of times, but I think, are you thinking about the one I was talking about the allergy? Cause there was a story of basically like, and this is, I feel like this is a good chef story because our first pop-up and I doubt this person is going to listen, but I apologize in advance for putting, for blowing you up, but I'm not going to say your name, but this, this person, our first pop-up, like you could buy tickets in a package. Like they were cheaper as, as you got more tickets, like you could buy four at once. So this person had bought like three or four tickets or something and then contacted us ahead and was like, actually, so we had like, crab lumpia we had like something else that had shrimp paste in it we had like nothing was vegan or vegetarian Mm -hmm. and they messaged us and they were like hey we bought tickets one of the people is a pescatarian 
and has an extreme shellfish allergy. I was like, all right, I'll prepare something. Because it was my first event. And, like, I didn't want to, like, you know, we sold a ticket. I was like, fuck it. We'll just buy a fish or something. And we bought a fish and fried it for them, basically. And, like, got some other type of vegetable and, like, did a specific thing for them. And then, so we're like, we made that for them. We served them. At the end, like, we'd made so much damn food for this, our first pop-up. We made, like, there were, like, 75 people there, but we made enough food for probably, like, 120 people. Because first event, like, you don't want to, like, come right out of the gate and run out of food for a ticketed event where they paid to eat as much as they could eat, basically. Mm-hmm. The tickets, like, basically, the tickets were, like, from 60 to, like, $80 or something at the end, we're just like, if people want to take a plate to go, like, go ahead. Because this is literally more food than, like, we were, like, filling, like, entire, like, five-gallon buckets with lumpia and, like, pork barbecue and stuff. We just made way too much. <laughs> and so um, one of the people who had been helping me with front of house stuff, like, points at this lady who was over there, like, getting food and was like, oh, that's the woman with the shellfish allergy. And she's, like, right there grabbing, like, food that has shrimp paste on it and, like, uh, lumpia that has, like, shellfish in it. And so I run over to her and I'm, like, wait. I'm, like, literally, like, running over, like, so overly excited, like, don't eat that. And she was, like, I, like, almost yelled, was, like, don't eat that. Because I didn't want to, like, you know, we'd done so much to prevent her having an allergy outbreak. Already, it's a Kamayan. So all the food is touching each other. So she should have just, like, not been... Like, if you had an allergy, you should have contacted before purchasing a ticket, basically. Yeah. But I didn't say anything. I wasn't like, let's refund her ticket, because I was just like, first event, already sold it. So she's going there, and then she just grabs it. I was like, ma'am, that has crab in it. And then she just, like, picks it up and eats it, and she's like, my allergy's not that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I get this all the time. All the time. I think people oh, yeah. like to just like, <laughs> like no, nothing against people who have allergies, but I feel like sometimes people like play up their allergy because it's no, like a subject. I, I did a I did a dinner like last month and someone had a dairy allergy and we brought all this like, <coughs> made like special vegan desserts for her and all this. And then we got there and she was like putting ice cream on her brownie sundae. And she's like, well, it's really that I'm like lactose intolerant and I'm trying to avoid. It's like, I literally made a whole batch of non-dairy brownies for you. And like, you know, I don't think they think what that means. Like people say they have a soy allergy, like vegetable oils all have soy. So if you buy like Duke's mayonnaise that has soy in it because there's soybean oil and I buy a whole new pantry of ingredients when someone says they have a soy allergy and then you talk to them like, oh, I just don't like tofu. It's like, that's not having a soy allergy. Like... It's totally yeah. different. Yeah, that's why sometimes I'm like, it It feels, for me, it feels almost wrong to do it because I'm not questioning. I don't want to question, but, like, sometimes I'll, if somebody says something, I'll, I'll try to get them to be more specific. Yeah. You know, I'll be like, oh, like, is it just this type of nut or is it, like, are there other nuts? Just so they can, like, elaborate. Or, like, shellfish. Like, shellfish, you mean shrimp or crabs? Like, because sometimes it's like they just don't like crabs. Right and and like can we stop calling not liking something an allergy? <laughs> like, yeah. please, yeah. please. I don't understand people who come to events like that, especially a ticketed event with yeah. a diet restriction. But it happens way yeah. more than even. Than I mean, you would think, and then they expect that you're going to be able to accommodate them. 
with no prior notice. At least you got prior notice. A lot yeah. of people don't. They show up and they're it's bent out of shape that they spent $70 and there's nothing that's like vegan or pescatarian. Yeah, we now – so now on most of my pop-up event flyers, I just put um, – I saw this on a menu one time and I use it all the time. It says, we kindly decline alterations to the menu. Please tell us if you have a food allergy. That's like, cause I used to type other stuff at the bottom of my menu, but I'm just like, that's like the most simple thing. Mm-hmm. Kindly decline alterations. Just so I can be like, if you're going to ask me something like I might, but I'm most likely going to be like, no, cause like all these dishes are made to be prepared this way. And if you take this element out, it's like not as good. Yeah. But people don't realize that when they're doing that, they think they're making it better for themselves, but like you're potentially just making it worse for yourself, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But people don't really think about it that way. But with my events, I try to, like, I'm all about, like, attempting to, like, cater the clientele to be okay with eating whatever I'm, like, producing. And And I do have to alter what I do to a certain extent, because, like, if you think about Filipino food, there's, like, a ton of pork. But if you think about people in, in Baltimore, like most of the people I know don't eat pork. That's one thing Filipino people do say is they're like, you need more pork items. And then I'm like, I'll do maybe one or two, but like, I don't want to like have too many options. Like basically I try to make enough of a variety that if you have a different type of dietary restriction that like there's something for everybody there mm-hmm. and you don't feel like you have like you've wasted your time by coming here if you're like gluten free or like do you publish your menus before you do events so the way we usually do it is we publish it like two maybe two days or one day before just because we use it as part of like the promotion process because i feel like if you drop the menu too early then people like it's just another thing that can like keep some buzz going like the day or a couple of days before the event and then people can kind of prepare but it never ceases to amaze me like sometimes you'd think everybody would like check out what's going to be there before but then there's people who are just like eh. but then there's places like fat and sun and where it's like also a bar where people just go there to eat so like you're kind of just the food that's there for the night so that's where like I have to like engage with my own conflicts in my business where it's like I can't always just like make some specialized thing and sometimes i have to figure out like what can be streamlined and like is easy enough for people to digest i can't wait to see another colossal pop-up and um maybe we can do another collab in the future yes we did we did some filipino pizza one time oh yeah it was actually really good yeah what on that i think there was like i think it just ended up being an amalgamation of like a bunch of different ideas we had but it was like I think one was like there was like a coconut shrimp paste, yes, based sauce, which is kind of like Bicol mm-hmm. Express in the Philippines. It's like a popular way to marinate pork belly. Mm-hmm. And then we did one with eggplant, or was it the same pizza? There was eggplant and fried garlic. It's really funny because it like two sauces on it, banana ketchup, and then um, like a it was like some greens. That yeah, was so good. we talk about this a lot because it's not exactly the most easy, straightforward fusion combination, pizza and Filipino yeah. food. It's not like, but it's one of those things where like, once you do it, you can get a little bit of confidence and be like, all right, well, I think we could try some other things. We had a meat on one of them too, I think. Oh yeah. Longanisa, turkey. Longanisa is like a super sweet Filipino sausage. Yeah. That's another one where I'll do like, I, I use turkey to substitute pork. 
Yeah. And it worked out. I was nervous about that for sure. I was like, how are you get this thing that's like normally pork to taste like proper, but it worked. It was really good. I'm sure it didn't taste like quite like the pork, but it was a good ass longanisa. I remember the first time I ever had longanisa at your house. Oh yeah. I think I everybody like, remembers that. What? If you grew up with me, like, what like is this? my my it's mom so good. Or dad made longanisa at some point. It's like it my mind. some Filipino foods, it's like flavor bombs. Like it's like that's I, oh, that's one thing about Filipino cooking that's really interesting is I have been in some commercial kitchens with people who are in the industry that don't like it's 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 a a home cooking style food and some things might break the rules of like other cuisine. So there's been so many times where they're like somebody's been like, You're gonna put that much brown sugar in it? That much garlic? And it's like <laughs> Yeah, that's, like, how it tastes like that. But something like longanisa stays on your breath for, like, the whole day because it's, like, <laughs> so much garlic, so much black pepper. So my best friend Ryan, who's my roommate in culinary school, he's mm-hmm. Filipino, and, like, I have a lot of fond memories of staying over at his house and his grandmother cooking for us. But, like, for me, it was, like, bones in things, like a bun, oh, right? Yeah. Like, because that's not an American mm-hmm. thing. Like, it's like, oh, here's a bun. What's in that pork? And you bite in, and it's like, there's a mm-hmm. fucking bone in here. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's like, who does that? Like, who yeah. puts meat on a bone and then puts it in a bun where you can't see that there's, like, a bone? Yeah. I had never when I first seen anything the, like that. When I first went to the grocery store over there, I was, like, confused about the cuts. Because it would be, like, thigh, but it would be, like, chopped into a bunch yeah. of pieces. But that's just kind of, like, the style and it's like, I don't know what it is. It's something about Filipino food that just gets you like, it, I feel so connected with Filipino food because it's just like raw, you know, it's like, I'm just going to chop it up. And it was the first it. time I'd ever had shrimp served with the head on. Like, yeah. that's just not a thing you see around yeah. here. Like now in fine dining, there's fancy prawns with the head on. But like when we sat down and this platter came out, I'm like, what is this? And he's yeah. like, shrimp. I'm like. With the head still yeah. on them, like really? There's some don't, dishes too that you, don't you buy eat, your sh- you eat yeah. the like, head of the shrimp mm-hmm. too. I was not prepared for that, but it was cool and I loved it. But she would get up. We would still be sleeping because we stayed up way too late. She would get up at six in the morning and put on the rice cooker and start yeah. making stuff. And she'd get bent if we didn't eat. She's like, "What are you guys doing?" We're like, "We're going to New York City." She's like, "But I made all this food." Yeah. It's like, ah, it's like sorry, yeah, like we'll eat some when we get back. Eat. So she'd just stick in the fridge when we get back, and like at two in the morning, be eating mm-hmm. some of grandma's food. But uh, it always tastes like that's what they always say Filipino leftovers taste better. There was there was always food in that house, and I think they had like ten people like. Ryan and his brother lived there, and then his grandma lived there, and I think his aunt and uncle and daughter lived there. And it was the, you know, because once again, like, that's not something I was ever used to. It was like, you had a family, it was like the mom and dad and the kids, but to have this house where like 10 people lived there, I thought it was pretty cool. Shout out to Papa Ubaldo for teaching me how to make a a simple ramen noodle into a delicious, nutritious dish. Yeah, follow my dad on Instagram. I think it's just at Al Ubaldo or something like that. Yeah. But my dad is way more consistent than me as a chef as far as, like, posting pictures of his, his creations. It's, like, a few times a week. Yeah, my dad goes in, and he's a vegetarian, too. I, I always take notes from my dad on, like, being consistent. He's, <laughs> he's very disciplined, unlike me. All right, so before we wrap it up, we have this uh, speed round called On the Fly. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Just answer them as fast as you can. All right. I'll do that. What's your favorite tool in the kitchen? The peeler. 
That's a first. Uh, your favorite food to eat? Uh, Sundabu. Can we? Can, do you want to explain that? Sundabu is like it's like a spicy Korean soup with silken tofu in it, mm. and like. There's just foods out there where it's like you can only get that experience from that food, and that one just like if I'm congested and it's cold out, it like warms me up and I just feel alive. If you had all the monies, what is the first position you would hire at my restaurant? For, I mean, it really could be for anything, but I guess stick that maybe like for Kalasa. I would hire a front of house manager. <laughs> It's the second time we got that. <laughs> if you're a pop up, like everybody needs that. I feel like there's so yeah. many people who can cook, but like, you need somebody who can really like set the vibe. Yeah. Um, who's your favorite chef? Doesn't have to be celebrity. Probably rest in peace, Prodigy. I feel like Prodigy had a lot of good like information. Um, being somebody who was you know incarcerated and being somebody who had sickle cell. I feel like they had a lot. And, you know, coming from a low-income community, I feel like they had a lot to to say in a realm of food that a lot of people weren't paying attention to. He had, like, a prison cookbook, I think. Yeah. Art or science? Ooh, science, but only because I've lived my whole life making art. So I mean, so both, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's one thing you do differently from everybody else? I overthink it. What's your favorite digital tool? Setmore. Setmore is an app we use for the studio so that everybody can like input the schedule and you can also like use it with clients too. So, I mean, I have other digital tools, but hey, that or Ableton Live. Live. (laughs) You guys do your research on that one. All right. uh, Recommend a book. Um, Freedom is a Constant Struggle in Little Davis. What's your favorite culinary resource? This is going to be the most cliche answer, but at one point I was using the Flavor Bible, and that is a great culinary resource. I'll say, like, two for people who are just trying to get into making good food, whether they're trying to do it professionally or not, is that Flavor Bible and um, salt, salt, fat, acid, heat. It's just the basics of what you need to know. Like, you could just create, I, I feel like me in my house, like, just having those two books, like, late at night, hungry, I've, like, made some some cool dishes that no one will probably probably ever experience again, but like just for my own pleasure, those mm-hmm. books like helped out a lot. Cool. We'll we'll link to all three of those books in the show notes. How do you decompress? Usually, I, I have this like foot massager mas- machine. I don't have a lot of resources to decompress right now, so usually it's the foot massager machine, hot shower. Just because I have like seasonal depressive disorder. One of the things they say that's really good with that is heat. So um, I go to YMCA and then I'll go swim there and then they have like a sauna. Mm. So I'll hit the sauna or like just take a hot shower, like whatever you can do when it's cold out to just take on heat, whether it's like mm-hmm. sit in front of a heater or sit in front of a light or work out. Like I try to kind of decompress by doing those things. Yeah. Uh, what's the best meal you've ever had? The best meal I've ever had because food, when you're having a food experience, it's not just about like the food that's going in your mouth, but the best food experience I've ever had is my family took me up to these mountains where my family lives near where the first independent Filipino government was developed because they were like in hiding in these caves. 
and there was like rivers around that go through these caves. And so they took me there to like go hiking and I didn't even know, but they brought all this food. And then there's like this concrete uh, picnic table that's like in the water where there's like waterfalls and stuff. So we just sat there and they put the banana leaves out on the table and then we just ate like chicken and fish like on the table, just like in the water, like with my family and stuff. And that was like the best meal I've ever had, even though it was like, I don't even know if they prepared the food. I think they just got like, there's this type of chicken you can get there. It's like Texas roasted chicken. Like I love going and eating in other countries, eating the food that's like their style of American. Cause sometimes it's like a whole, it's like a totally different perspective. Like the yeah. chicken is just so much more fire than like any like cheap <laughs> Texas rotisserie chicken that you could get. Yeah. So we ate that and then you eat it with bagong, which is like the sauteed shrimp paste, which is just like, kind of like sweet but super umami and like shrimpy and you just eat it with me and it was like Flavor it was fire bomb. yeah and it was i think i think it was like my the day before i left type thing mm-hmm. so so you had to like walk through the water to get to this table <laughs> yeah we had to walk we walked like two or three miles like through the the woods like through the were you like there, were yeah. you like feet in the water as you're eating or is it like on a little it was ice? like no, there was, like, a seat in the water. So, like, literally, like, I'm sitting, sitting in, in the, the, water? the water's, like, over my waist. And then I'm just, like, oh, eating with my hands on the table. I think about stuff like that. And I'm like, man, if I'm rich one day, like, I want to just, like, replicate that seat in my backyard. Oh my <laughs> it's just, like, I can imagine it now. You're just, like, in hot-ass Philippines mm-hmm. with some cool-ass water running over your lap. Yeah. Eating some good food. The only thing I will say is there were these, like, little... I don't know what they were, little bug type things that were like all over me. And I was like, what are these? And I couldn't get like a straight answer. But they were just like, take the water and just wash it off yourself. So it's a part of the experience. Yeah, part of the experience. That's a tight ass experience. experience. All right, last question. What do you want to be remembered for? Um, I want to be remembered for like caring about the people who work in the industries that I work in and trying to change those industries so that, you know, people who work hard and people who have a dream can like make it regardless of where they come from. Oh yeah. I knowing you, I've known that you've already always acted from that, that place of love to sure. care from for those people. And I think you've shaken shit up en- enough. Yeah, people like people are already gonna remember you, but there's more to come. Yeah, for sure. All right, thank you for coming out, or thank you, thank you for having us. I guess in the studio, yeah, thanks for having, letting us interview. We're having each other. <laughs> yeah, thanks for letting us have each other, and um, I always love talking to you. Yep, it's been good to see you, Me and too, uh, yeah, again, thank you for being on my podcast and Chris's podcast, the Chefs Without Restaurant podcast. Uh, let everybody know real quick where they can follow you and Colossog. Um, follow Colossog is at Colossog pop up on everything. It's C A L A S A G. Toyomansi is pretty much on everything. Instagram it's T O Y O M A N S I underscore. It's Lore Toyo on Twitter L O R T O Y O and then Grotto Four One O on everything else for the studio. Shout out to Grotto for letting us record all three episodes here today. And as usual, like, subscribe to the podcast, and please leave us a review. If you want to be on the podcast or you just have any suggestions or complaints or concerns, email us, chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. I'm Andrew, a.k.a. Free Pizza. Chris, Perfect Little Bites. 
Thank you for listening. Peace. We love you. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.